Welcome to the New Providence Presbyterian Church podcast, where we will share our messages from our weekend worship services. We hope these messages will inspire you and challenge you in your walk with Jesus. Well, today we're concluding our sermon series that we've called Living Sacrifices. And in these weeks, the last couple weeks, we've considered how God brings us to life as we offer ourselves to him. And we began this series by looking back and considering the impact of the pandemic and the lingering effects of the pandemic, whether it's emotionally or relationally, whether physically, no doubt, financially, and ultimately spiritually. In so many ways, I feel like from conversations with many of you and many in our community, it's, it's like we've been drained, like it's like a car that has a low battery or the battery's dead. And in many ways, we need a jump start and we need a fresh start. And so we've gone to God's word, specifically in the 12th chapter of the book of Romans for that jump start. And we began this series weeks ago looking at a call to action from Romans 12, chapter, I mean, Romans 12 verse one, where the apostle Paul says, therefore I urge you, I urge you in view of God's mercy, brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is holy and pleasing to God. He said, this is your true and proper worship. And we consider what it means to offer ourselves to God. As we offer ourselves to him, he brings us to life, brings us back to life. Then a couple weeks ago, we then focused on the next call to action, verse two, where the apostle Paul said, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we consider that by default, this world is pressuring us, shaping us, squeezing us into a mold. And that pattern doesn't involve God. That pattern definitely doesn't involve Jesus. And by default, we're being squeezed into a mold unless we let God interrupt that process. And we let him interrupt that process by letting him transform us by the renewing of our mind. And this happens as we read and study and memorize scripture. This happens as we engage God in prayer. This happens as we invest in relationships with others who are pursuing the same thing. And last week then, we considered how each of us is part of something bigger, the body of Christ. In Romans 12, we looked at verses three through eight, and specifically verses four and five, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And we considered last week how we're a part of something bigger. And it's because we're connected to something bigger. And that something is not just something, it's someone. And that someone is Jesus. We're not just connected to the greater universe or to the, to the general divine that's out there. We're connected to a personal God who personally knows us, who personally showed up here on planet Earth, who personally died for the forgiveness of our sins and personally was resurrected from dead in real time, overcoming all sin and evil and death itself. We're part of something bigger because we're connected to him and we're supernaturally connected with him and each of us as a part of the body of Christ has a unique function and a unique role. We considered that last week. Looking towards, for us, as we look towards a jump start or a fresh start for our church, in a couple weeks, two weeks from today, we're gonna have a different kind of Sunday morning. Sunday, September 18th, we're gonna have a shorter worship service here, and then we're gonna continue our worship down in Parish Hall. Don't leave, don't go to the diner, don't get a bagel. I'm gonna try and get maybe Lee Crawford and Carl Shum and some of the bigger guys in our church to be bouncers so you can't leave. <laughs> Head down to Parish Hall because our ministry teams and staff have put together a fresh set of ways for you to connect in relationships and ways to serve. And we want you to look and get a sense of what that's, we're gonna have some surprises. We had a great staff meeting this past week. The staff is pumped up. 
We're gonna have some, some fun surprises for you down in Parish Hall in a couple weeks. It's an event you don't wanna miss. But the goal is not just to have fun, that we're gonna have fun, and not just to surprise you. It's to give you opportunities to find fresh connections again, to rediscover friendships here in our church family, and also to find a fresh way for you to give of your gifts, to dedicate the specific gifts and expertise and experiences that you have to our church. And so as we continue today, now we come to the final installment of this series, and if you will, episode four. Today's focus, we're gonna look at the rest of Romans chapter 12, verses nine through 21, and today's focus is that God jumpstarts our lives and fuels us by the power of the Holy Spirit in order to live our, a new life in Christ. Right? God is the one who jumpstarts our lives, and it's this Holy Spirit that fuels us. And in this passage, the, a key verse is Romans 12, 11. I love this verse. The Apostle Paul exhorts us to never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. So what is this spiritual fervor? Is it enthusiasm, raw enthusiasm? Is it energy and, and, and excitement? Is it it's just hype? Is it a lot of caffeine? Maybe, no, it's not. Spiritual fervor, this is talking about God's spirit and his work in our lives. It's the fuel that God gives us uniquely by his spirit, his Holy Spirit. And this is, a, this is experience as we serve the Lord. Notice how he says, keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Right? When the, the listeners who heard this letter in the first century, when they heard the word Lord, it would have kicked something up. Because for them in that culture, right, in Rome, first century Rome, who was Lord? Caesar is Lord. But here, Paul is not talking about Caesar. And in fact, it was scandalous. And it got Christians killed in the first century when they declared and confessed the basic Christian confession that Jesus is Lord. And it was anti-cultural, it was scandalous, and calling him Lord and acknowledging that he was Lord and not Caesar got many Christians killed. And here, the Apostle Paul is exhorting the followers of Jesus to serve the Lord, the Lord Jesus, not Caesar. And in our day and age, it's not that Caesar is Lord, it's a reminder that Jesus is Lord and that I'm not Lord and you're not Lord. If you're a follower of Christ and you acknowledge him as Lord, that he should have the first and final word in your life. Not perfect at that. We all stray. That's part of the Christian faith, but God invites us back. But we need to keep coming back over and over to the fact that he is Lord and that we are not. And so we're to keep our spiritual fervor in that way. So what's this word fervor? The word fervor is translated as a word that speaks to boiling, like bubbling up. You look at this pot. This is in our house how we cook pasta. There's no pasta in here. Sorry, Bob. I'm not going to be able to give you any food. But as you look at this pot, Right? This word fervor means like to boil or to bubble up and to bubble over. And you think about heating water and as it heats up and the bubbles start to form and then it starts to boil. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. Keep your spiritual fervor so it bubbles up and bubbles over. As I think about uh, boiling, I think about my first, the memory that comes to mind is my first Boy Scout camping trip. And I remember it was at Camp Winnebago, not too far from here, Rockaway Township. And uh, that first weekend was actually a camporee, and that's when the scouts compete against each other. Right? It's not Hunger Games, but it's, like it's, it's, it's crazy competition of all the different troops, all the different patrols going head to head. And the first thing we had to do was to build a fire, put a pot of water over it at a certain level, and see who can get 
the water to boil first. And not just boil, but bubble up and bubble over. And so they said, go. And then it was build the fire. And not only build a fire, build a big fire. Love fire. Build it as big as possible, as fast as possible, and have it heat up that water. And I remember looking around at all the different patrols and seeing how they have a big fire. They don't have a big fire. It looks like they're getting closer. We're building this fire up. And eventually the water boiling and then bubbling over and everyone cheering. That's the picture that the Apostle Paul is getting at here. Keep your spiritual fervor that it bubbles up and bubbles over. Now the word boiling point typically has a negative connotation right, for us. I mean, when someone hits their boiling point, it's usually because they're angry and they've lost it. And you've seen it, right? Probably at shopping malls or in traffic, right? Boiling point, there was a show years ago and we saw people lose their minds right, when they got to that boiling point. Well, here that's not a negative description. Here the boiling point is a positive one. One of bubbling up and bubbling over. And what's bubbling up and bubbling over is not anger. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And the Apostle Paul says, keep your spiritual fervor, saying the work of the Holy Spirit that's described in Galatians 5, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those nine fruit of the Spirit are to bubble up and bubble over from our lives keep that spiritual fervor so we can serve the Lord. And so it's not that necessary that we bubble up and bubble over so we can serve the Lord. It's actually, it's kind of a chicken and the egg. It's as you serve the Lord that you begin to bubble up and bubble over. So the Apostle Paul in this passage, so I focused on verse 11, gives us a series of calls to action. And I believe as we look at these calls to action, this is God's love in action with the body of Christ. Because in the first 11 chapters of Romans, the word love was specifically designated more vertical between us and God. And we move to chapter 12 and going forward, it shifts to be horizontal, or I like to say 360 degrees all around us as we look around to the people around us. And here he says, here's how you love one another. Here's how it plays out. If you want to keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord, live out these commands and watch what God does. And so that's where we're gonna, we're gonna look at all of these calls to action this morning. Now, if you've come tired to this worship service, stay with me. This is going to be a love roller coaster. And this is a spiritual workout. I'm going to call out exercises here, one by one, based on these verses of Scripture, and walk through them. I don't expect you to process all of this this morning. But I want you to be somewhat overwhelmed, boiling over, if you will, with, with the goodness of God and what he calls us to do in light of who he's calling us to be. And then this week, I'm gonna invite you to read this passage over and over and over. Let it wash over you. And each day, ask God which of these commands and exhortations catches, ask what catches your attention, and then God, which one do you want me to try to live out a little bit more today? So you ready? Here we go. Whether you're ready or not, no one said yes, it doesn't matter, I'm talking. Here we go, <laughs> verse nine, here we go. So we're gonna go command by command, exhortation by exhortation. This is what it means to live out the love of God. Verse nine, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Right here, stopping there, the apostle Paul goes right, he says, look, love must be sincere. No hypocrisy, no play acting, have it be sincere. And then he gives these two descriptions, hate what is evil, but cling to what is good. Right? Hate in a biblical sense is less of a feeling. It's more this, it's an action of separating yourself from something. And if you're feeling, it, in essence, it's seeing something and being repulsed by it and then separating yourself from it. Paul says here, hate 
what is evil. Go beyond just a feeling about it, but actually separate yourself from it. And evil is defined by what God says in his word. And he says, see it, understand it, hate it, separate yourself from it. In essence, don't, you have to ask ourselves the question, where am I dabbling or playing with evil? And step away from it. Or a haunting question I heard years ago, which still haunts me, now it's gonna haunt you. The question, ask yourself, where am I being entertained by evil or sin? Where am I being entertained by evil or sin? By the things you watch, things you engage. What's entertaining you that's not of God, that goes against what he's described as his loving purpose for our lives? The Apostle Paul exhorts us to hate what's evil, separate yourself from it, and don't just stay there, but cling to what's good. Right, based on what he describes, hold fast to it, hold on to it, cling to what's good. Constantly separate yourself away from evil and grab on to what's good. Right, that's, step, that's the first action step. Next action step, verse 10, he says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. He says, be devoted. Devote yourself to God, yes, but be devoted to one another. Dedicate yourself to one another. And then in the process, honor others above yourself. I love that description. If you've been around someone who honors someone above himself or herself, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? When someone doesn't call attention to themselves but calls attention to others, whether it's to their teammates or maybe to someone who's invested in their life. I think I saw that on display the other night when Serena Williams was interviewed after her match. She lost. She gave credit to her opponent. And then she honored her parents. She honored her sister. She honored her coaches. She honored others above herself. She could have been like, it's all about me. I'm the goat. I'm the greatest of all time. Everyone stand and cheer. She didn't say that. She said, look, my parents, my sister, that, that's an example. If that's the case with a tennis player, how much more within the body of Christ where others who honor each other, others, honor others above themselves? Verse 11, back to the same verse, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. The call to action there is to bubble up and bubble over with God's spirit. Moving on to verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Here's the next call to action, and it comes in form of three. Be joyful in hope. Be full of joy when you have hope in Jesus Christ, the ultimate hope, the hope of his return, the hope that, of his promises. Be full of joy. Be patient in affliction. Whatever you're facing, have long-suffering with God's help. Be patient. And lastly, be full of faith or faithful in prayer. As you come to God in prayer, come with a sense of trust that he's trustworthy. Be full of faith, faithful in prayer. Continuing on in verse 13, he says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. First he talks to the family of God. Share with those in need in the family of God, meaning look around. Is there a need? If there's a need in the family of God, seek to meet that need. Whether it's maybe it's a financial need or it's a material need. Maybe it's a relational need, a spiritual need to pray for someone. See a need, meet the need, he says within the body of Christ. Then he says practice hospitality. And specifically, this is more for those outside of the family, those who are strangers. And this would have been commonplace back in that day where practicing hospitality, looking for someone who especially was traveling and needed a place to stay, that was common in both the Near East and in the Mediterranean region. Here the Apostle Paul is saying not just practice it, which sounds kind of neutral, but the word actually is a little more aggressive. It's pursue hospitality, like pursue aggressively, meaning keep your eyes open 
for someone in need and someone who needs to be included and look to include them. So in our day and age, maybe it's a neighbor who moves in on your street. I would say if you look at this passage, this, this call to action would be pursue aggressively hospitality to include them. Help them get acclimated to living here, especially if they, they're not from New Jersey. Right? Help them out. Help them out. Maybe it's a classmate. Maybe it's a new coworker, especially with so much virtual work and not being in an office to include someone when they don't feel included. And definitely here in our church, to practice hospitality, someone who you don't know, who may be a stranger, or maybe you haven't seen them in years because of the pandemic, but to practice that hospitality and to pursue it and to pursue it aggressively. All right, next call to action, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. This is a hard one. But this echoes the words of Jesus, to pray for our enemies, right? to seek a blessing for those who persecute you. It's difficult to want something good for someone who makes your life miserable. Isn't that true? It's difficult to want something good for someone who makes your life miserable. But the way of Jesus is to seek to bless them, not curse them, to pray for them. Um, and it's anti-everything, and really everything that's natural to us. But that's the call to action here. If you want to bubble up and bubble over with the, the way of the Spirit, you want to keep your spiritual fervor, put that into practice. All right, verse 15, now rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Another action step, set of action steps. Meaning if you see someone rejoicing, match their enthusiasm, rejoice with them. If you see someone mourning, grieve with them. And both of these instances move towards a person. I think the Apostle Paul put rejoice with those who rejoice first because it can be difficult to rejoice with someone who's rejoicing because envy and jealousy can pop up, can it? When you see someone rejoicing, in our flesh it can be easy to say, well, they're doing well, and, but it's kind of hard to rejoice with them. But no, Paul says, no, rejoice with them. Cheer with them, get excited with them. I mean, jealousy can be almost described if you flip these, right, to say you rejoice when other people are mourning and you're mourning when other people are rejoicing. Don't do that. You see someone who's rejoicing and, oh, man. Or you see someone who's mourning and, and they're down and you celebrate. That's not what Paul, it's the flipped. Rejoice with those who rejoice. rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Verse 16, moving on, next action step. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Here he says, live in harmony. It's the word there talks about having a similar mindset, having the same focus, and specifically in the body of Christ, to have the same mindset and focus on Jesus. And that's where you find harmony. Not that we're same-minded, but that we're like-minded in the sense that we have the same focus. And that same focus ultimately is Jesus and the essentials of the faith and belief in him. So the Apostle Paul exhorts the listeners to be, live in harmony with one another. And when you have a focus on Christ, all of a sudden positions and don't become as important. And you can associate with others because we're all on equal footing before the cross. He says, don't be conceited as well in light of this. Continuing on, verse 18. If, you know, verse 17, actually. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. Now Paul moves on to describe the resi resisting revenge and retribution. Don't repay anyone evil for evil, he says. In essence, when you have this thought, they're going to pay. They're going to pay for this. Resist that. 
If someone wrongs you and you think I need to make them pay, Paul says, don't repay evil for evil, but be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. And he continues on in verse 18, if it's, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now it's the positive side. Seek to live at peace with everyone. I love how he describes it. He describes it that it's not easy. And he puts some caveats. If it's possible, and as far as it depends on you, meaning take ownership of your part. Do what you can. You can't control other people, but you can surrender yourself to God and exhibit some self-control on your side. Do what you can to live at peace with others and leave the rest in God's hands. And that's where he goes next, verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge, and I will repay. Right here, Paul's saying, look, when someone wrongs you, don't get revenge on them. Leave it into God's hands. God will raise up other forms of justice, whether it's authorities in this world or ultimately justice in the afterlife. But he says, don't enact revenge. For me, it's like an image of siblings when something goes wrong. And it's like, okay, I've been wronged. Now I'm gonna wrong you back. And it's like kids in the back of a car punching each other or something. And it's like, no, that's not, Paul's like, don't, siblings, don't fight. Leave it up to a good parent. Ultimately, our heavenly father is the perfect parent to work it out. Now it gets interesting, verse 20, next call to action. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will keep burning coals on his head. Right, Paul's quoting from Proverbs 25, 21, 22. Now, I've always read this verse. I'm like, what's going on here? He says, don't enact revenge. And I'm like, I've read it all these years. Like, but do something nice to someone and put burning coals on their head. That just seems out of place. So here's a key. As you're reading scripture, if something seems out of place like that, it's probably out of place. Meaning, the flow is don't enact revenge. So there has to be something else going on. And so what scholars and Bible commentators help me to see is that in essence, says, he quotes from Proverbs 25, 21, and 22. He's like, yes, if your enemy's hungry, give him something to eat. Yes, if your hungry's thirsty, give him something to drink. And this picture of burning coals is a picture of repentance. It's when a person comes to a place that they're grieving and they're sorry for what they've done. And so in essence, even though the word heap, for me, pictures like, oh, I'm gonna put coals on your head. I'm gonna take care of you. No, it's, it's, it's an outcome, not an action. Meaning that if you feed someone, you give someone, you're kind to your enemy. The goal is for them to come to a place of, wow, what have I done? What have I done? And it was even a practice in ancient Egypt that someone who was sorry for what they've done would actually put burning coals on their head. Not something we do these days. I might have done it. I have bald head. No, but the fact that like others, like it's not something we would do, but something they would do. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, staying in the stream of the rest of the passage, don't repay evil for evil. Don't enact revenge. And if you are kind to your enemy, they may come to a place that they respond in kindness. Um, let's go then to verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This pulls it all together, almost full circle coming back to the beginning in terms of hates what evil and cling to what's good. He's like, don't let evil have the victory. Don't let evil have the victory. Overcome evil with good. And so as we conclude all those calls to action, yes, it's a little overwhelming. The question we have to ask is how do we do all this? How do we do all this? That's a, quite a list of things to go after. The good news is we can't do this on our own strength. We can't. I mean, the, the commands of Scripture, the exhortations that we see in Paul's letters and the other writings in the New Testament is not something we can just make happen. We need God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, living in us 
And we need to nurture his work in us. And that he changes us from the inside out and we bubble up and bubble over, not only with living out the, this series of calls to action we just considered, but all of them that we see in scripture. But the reality is that these calls to action are not optional. They're expectations for those who consider themselves followers of Jesus. Let me share a little bit of my story briefly. For, as I've shared in the far past, I think that for me that growing up, like I, I lived in a world where you had to be perfect. I felt like I had to be perfect in order to be loved. And so when I came to this understanding that God loved me conditionally and that Jesus died for my sins, it, it opened my mind. It opened my heart to God. And as I gave my heart and life to God as a freshman in high school, I was set free in many ways from legalism and perfectionism and knew and felt that I didn't have to be perfect for God to love me. But for years, there was a gap. The gap was that I was still called to live into the calls to action and commands that God gave. Specifically in the New Testament, he calls us to action. And I missed that part. And so many words, I'm like, oh, I'm freed, I'm set free, but never really took seriously the calls to action that God gave. God calls us to do it. As his children, to act like his children as part of his family. And he doesn't call us to do it on our own strength. He gives us everything we need as we look to him to live this out. Because ultimately, Jesus lived out every single one of these calls to action. As you look at any of the, the commands and the calls to action in scripture, it's beautiful because you see Jesus lived them out. And therefore, God calls us to live them out based on his life in us, reproduced in us, bubbling up and bubbling over through the fruit of the Spirit, through commands like this. Remember where we started, the idea of keeping your spiritual fervor by serving the Lord. That's our role. Our role is to put ourselves in a place to let him continue to let us bubble up and bubble over with his goodness and his love and his mercy. I'm gonna give you one thing to remember, one thing to do as we finish and some questions for reflection. Remember this, that God jumpstarts our lives and fuels us, fuels us, right, fuels us by the power of the Holy Spirit to live a new life in Christ. One thing to do this week, I encourage you to engage, engage in five minutes of what I call refueling time each day, each morning, and seek to live out at least one of the calls to action from this passage. Again, that was a little overwhelming. I understand. We went through all that. That was on purpose. Just to be like, whoa. You have homework. Every day, read this passage, Romans 12, 9 through 21, and ask God, which of these standing, which one do you want me to take notice? And that day, seek to put it into practice. Maybe it's rejoicing with someone who's rejoicing. Maybe it's there's someone who's getting under your skin and instead of cursing them, pray for them. Ask for God to bless them. Maybe it's when you have that thought, they're gonna pay to say, God, interrupt that before I take action, whether verbally or otherwise. Look at this passage and say, God, how can the, your fruit of the Spirit, how can you bubble up and bubble over? And may you keep that, God, keep that spiritual fervor going in my life as I serve you. Some questions for reflection that circle this. When have you been fired up and energized for something and why? Think about that and then try to think about how that applies to what we talked about today. What are some ways that you can nurture your spiritual fervor and how can you do that each day this week? This week. And what could change in your relationship with God and with others and even with yourself if you actually put this into practice and live this out? Imagine what could change just this week. Just take the next seven days and try this. Read this passage in the morning. See what stands out. Ask God for grace to live it out. 
and let him keep your spiritual fervor going as you serve him. I invite you back next week. We'll start a new sermon series called Life Transforming Hope. And we're gonna consider how God can help us discover, embrace, and share the life-transforming hope of Jesus Christ in these three weeks ahead as we look at this topic of the hope of Christ. Let me pray for us. Let me pray. Father in heaven, as we've considered this, these truths today, God, we ask that you would give us everything we need to keep our spiritual fervor. God, you're the one who actually gives it. You're the one, God, who is the one who can keep that fire going. Um, may that be the case in our lives. And I pray, Lord, as we look at Romans 12, 9 through 21 this week, that you would bring something to mind each day. And Holy Spirit, that you would do a significant work in our lives um, to, to help us live this out. And indeed, that would impact our relationship not only with you, God, but definitely with others and even with ourselves. Um, and God, that we would, in doing so, Show forth your grace to this world. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>